welcome to the podcast for St. Andrew's Community United Methodist Church, a loving, caring, overcoming community of faith where our mission is making disciples of Jesus Christ. So two weeks ago when I was preaching, I was preaching on the part of the Psalm 51 that says, remove the stain of my guilt. And I shared how it is. I don't think any of us want to be known for the worst moment of our lives. We don't want our legacy in life to be some big mistake that we have made. And to that end, I quoted the uh, reality of Bill Buckner, really good baseball player, but made an error in game six of a World Series, and that's what people remember him for. Uh, talked about Janet Jackson, a pop superstar who's remembered for the wardrobe malfunction in the Super Bowl halftime show years ago. And when I was preaching that sermon, I had no way of knowing, I had no way of uh, really guessing that literally within hours after we got out of church, that was happening in the last service, we're having microphone malfunction issues. If I don't move around so much, it won't happen, hopefully. Within hours after we got out of church, someone was going to do something that would be the worst moment of their life. Now, I, I watch a lot of TV. I don't like commercials, though. And so during commercials, I'll switch to another channel, which is usually on a commercial, but that's another point for another day. Uh, and I, I switched over to the Academy Awards because I am a nostalgic guy. I like to see the piece on in memoriam to remember people who have entertained us for years. And that's when it happened. The slap heard around the world. International television, Will Smith walks on the stage and slaps Chris Rock. Now, I'm not going to enter into the fray of, well, he shouldn't have done this, or he should have tried this, or this should have been handled differently. There's enough of that going around. I'm not going to enter into that. What I want to focus on is something that I believe could be revealing about human nature and the human spirit. Chris Rock still had to present the award. I don't even remember what the award is. Maybe you remember what it was. At that point, you're just in shock and you're wondering if this thing was real. But he still had to present the award. And when the award was over, they cut the feed to the live television show. And at that point, all the scrambling is going on. That's when uh, the people at the Academy Security came up and they asked Will Smith to leave and he refused to do so. That's when Denzel Washington comes and tries to calm him down and console him and, and do things. We just know directors and producers of that television show are wondering how they're going to get it all under control again. But here's what I found interesting. And, you know, I mean, this thing made noise for, for more than a week. And, and one of the things that I remember happened is that there was someone Will Smith had a conversation with in all this scrambling around. And the person, I, I don't know if he sought them out so they could talk. I don't know if the person sought him out to say, hey, we got to talk. But the person he had a conversation with was his publicist. Now, a publicist, by definition, is a public relations specialist. This is someone a celebrity would hire to help them put a good spin on anything that happens. So if something happens, they can either, you know, lessen the emotional intent of it or make the person look really good. That's what a publicist 
reality their job is. Now, some people would have said, well, see, that's where the mistake was made. He should have immediately gone to Chris Rock and apologized. I'm going to disagree with that. You know, at that point, the emotional level is so high, the tension is so thick, that that needed to de-escalate before an apology could even be received. That's, That's my opinion. And other people I know would have said, well, what he should have done was call his lawyer. Because there was a chance he was going to have charges filed against him and, you know, his lawyer would say, whatever you do, don't say this, don't do this. But he called and or somehow he connected with his publicist, a spin doctor, someone who's going to try to put this in a different light than what everybody perceives it to be. Maybe sometimes we wish we had a publicist because we don't want to be remembered for our worst moment. King David, though, I think offers a better solution for how we deal with our worst moment. This is what we've been looking at and studying from Psalm 51, how it was that King David commits adultery with Bathsheba. Now, whether he does this because he's in a place in life where he's bored or he's having a midlife crisis, you know, whether he's depressed, whatever it is, he's obviously not being his royal self. And then he tries to cover it up when she sends word that you know, they've conceived a child together. Uh, King David wants to go, you know, Billie Jean is not my lover. That kid is not my own kind of thing. Uh, he's got a plan that he's going to work that out, but that plan fails. And so he has her husband, Uriah, killed. And now King David is guilty of adultery and he's guilty of conspiracy to commit murder. And when he's confronted, he no longer is running away. He's no longer trying to hide the 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 problem. He doesn't call in the royal publicist to put a spin on this so it looks a little better than it might have looked in that moment. No, he goes ahead and he gets real with what God is trying to confront him with. And he writes this psalm. It's an appeal to God's mercy. And beloved, we know God's got more mercy than we've got sin. And he appeals to God's unfailing love because God's love never fails. And he appeals to God's great compassion that God would wash him that God would purify him, that God would remove the stain of his guilt. And then last week we started looking at verse 10, which is probably the most popular verse in this whole psalm, but we only looked at the first half of it. So I want to invite you to read the entirety of Psalm 51.10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Let's do that again because I can barely hear you. Create in me... Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. So a publicist would tell you that the words that you use, the language that you choose to use, is very important. That if you're in your worst moment, there's some words that you should say, and there's some words that you would never say. And when we examine the words that David is using in this psalm, what we understand is David is being very clear. His primary concern is that his relationship with God has now been severely damaged. And he knows something needs to happen. We have all probably been in a situation where a relationship that we have with somebody has been damaged. Maybe we said something or did something that we regret. Maybe somebody said or did something to us that they would regret. But the relationship has been damaged, and we we, want to know if there's anything that we can do to minimize that. Now... Here's a sign that a person is growing old. 
You know, I told y'all, I watch game film to see how I'm doing in my sermons. And I find lately that there's two things that I do that I've, I've corrected one of them today. One is I certainly seem to be talking about baseball a lot lately. Not that that's a problem, but just in case y'all are getting a little bored with it, I, I admit, yes, I've been talking about baseball. By the way, the Reds beat the defending World Series champ. Oh, wait, I said I wasn't going to go there, didn't I? Okay, and, and the other thing is, and this is evidence that you're getting old, I've been making a lot of 90s references lately, and I'm not going to correct that one. There was a movie that came out in 1996, a romantic comedy that even men could enjoy. Jerry Maguire. Now, Jerry Maguire is a sports agent. He works for a major sports agency, uh, played by Tom Cruise. And in this movie, what Jerry Maguire does is he says, you know what? We have all these clients, but we don't really know them. If we had personal relationships with our clients, we could do better in representing them. And so he writes this manifesto to the whole sports agency saying, this is what we should do. Of course, that was not well-received, and he was, in fact, terminated for what he wrote. And now he's having to scramble, and he's trying to keep clients, and he's not able to keep any of them but one because he says the magic phrase that is important to that family, and that phrase was? Oh, y'all are 90s people, too. Y'all are my kind of people right here. Show me the money. But uh, as the movie goes on, after he, uh, the client commits to uh, keeping him as his agent, he gets up and he leaves and he says, hey, I'm starting my own agency. Anybody want to come with me? You know, and it's crickets in the workroom among all the support people until finally this one single mom stands up and she says, I'll go with you. And this is a romantic comedy, so you know what happens, right? They fall in love. They get married, but they're not living happily ever after. He is so consumed trying to get this business done that he's neglecting his marriage. And they begin to fall apart. And he has to, to move out and he's trying to get things done. But at the end of the movie, he realizes he needs to try to fix this relationship that damage has been done. And so it is that he goes back to let his wife know, I want you in my life, I've got to have you in my life. And he knows when he walks in the door that there's all these women that are around her to support her. And he's like, hello, said some other small talk stuff, but then he said a very memorable line in the movie. He looks at her and he says, you complete me. And of course, her response is a very memorable line and that was, you had me at hello. Brothers and sisters, I want to be very clear. If you do not have God in your life, if you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, your life is incomplete. Because it is God who completes us. It is God who gives our life meaning and purpose. And when we go to God, no matter what we've done, whether we have not known him and we've been sinful or whether we have known him and we are like King David, we have committed this great sin. It doesn't matter what our relationship with God has been. When we come to God and we understand God is the one that completes our lives, as soon as we turn our hearts and our attention to him, we've got him. He's not going to run away from us. He's not going to say, nope, you had your shot. He, he will never turn us away because he wants to complete our lives. And in the midst of this, David is crying out to him, create a clean heart 
in me. Renew my life. You see, there are some things that can be repaired. And there are some things that just need to be made new. An old Bible commentator, a guy by the name of Matthew Henry, lived centuries ago when he was commenting on what King David's prayer is. He says, the amazing thing about David is he does not pray that God will repair his reputation. He's not asking God to be a publicist that spins this so he comes out looking better from his worst moment. David understands that his heart has been polluted. There's some contamination in there, and he needs God to wash it and purify it and remove the stain of it and then create a new heart. By the power of the spoken word, create a new heart. And friends, God can create new hearts in us that renew that damaged relationship that we may have. Oh, that's a good word. That deserved an amen, but y'all are listening really good, so I'll keep going. Today is the day that we remember an important event in the life of Jesus. The day that Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem and the people are hailing him as the Messiah. Jesus fulfills a prophecy that Zechariah had made centuries before, saying that when the Messiah comes, behold your king lowly, humbly riding on a donkey. And that's why people began to rip the branches off the tree. It's a coronation for a king. And when they ran out of palm branches, they took off their cloaks and laid them down because this is a king. Their thought, their hope is that Jesus is the Messiah. And we believe that he is, but, they, but they're hoping Jesus is the Messiah. And what Jesus is going to do is he is now going to take the nation of Israel, which is living under Roman occupation and oppression, and he's going to restore Israel as a sovereign nation where they were like when David was king. In fact, that was a promise in the covenant to David. You will always have an heir sitting on the throne. And they could trace the lineage from David to Jesus. And they're saying, this is the one. And so they cry out, Hosanna, save now. Hosanna, son of David, save us now, son of David. This is what the people want. This is what they expect. But here's what we know on this side of the story. Jesus does not always do what we want. And Jesus does not always do what we expect. And when that's what Jesus did, the crowd that had these high expectations Jesus was supposed to fulfill for them, they have now turned against him and said, get rid of the guy. Crucify him. He's an imposter. He deserves to die. And some of those people that were closest to Jesus during that three-year itineracy are going to have their worst moment. The, the one that had the worst moment was Judas. Judas was one of the twelve. He had followed Jesus for three years. He saw the miracles Jesus did. When Peter walks on water, Judas is in the boat, probably calling him names under his breath. You know, I mean, that's what I imagine. And Judas was the treasurer. He got to keep the purse for whenever they had needs. And everybody knew he was dishonest. They knew if he saw something, you know, he'd just take the money out of the community pot and pay for it like it was his own. In fact... When Jesus has a woman come and break an expensive bar of perfume for Jesus, 
Judas says, well, that, that could have been sold and money given to the poor. And it wasn't because he concerned about the poor. Scripture is very clear. And so more money was available for Judas. In fact, money seems to be the common theme in his witness because when he agreed to betray Jesus, he negotiated the price, 30 pieces of silver. But Jesus is arrested, and Judas is filled with remorse. It's his worst moment. But he doesn't do what he should have done. He doesn't do what we should do when we're at our worst moment. He doesn't appeal to God's mercy or God's unfailing love or great compassion. Judas goes and chooses to take his own life. And then there's Peter. Not really Peter's best moment. Even though Jesus told him, you're going to deny that you know me, Peter says, no, I will die for you until somebody says, hey, you followed him, didn't you? Oh, no, man, it wasn't me. No, we can tell your accent gives you away. No. He, he completely denies he knows Jesus, and then he watches as Jesus is arrested and beaten and crucified. If anybody wanted Jesus to be alive again, I'm pretty sure it was Peter. Because if Jesus is alive again, he believes he has a chance to have the damage done in that relationship taken care of. So it is that we read that after the resurrection, John chapter 21, that Jesus is going to reinstate Peter as one of the, the leaders, but it's very hard for Peter because everybody's watching and Jesus asking point blank, do you love me? Do you love me? In this very emotional time for Peter, he comes through. Lord, you know I love you. And even though he protested a little the third time, I think Peter began to understand the importance of what Jesus was doing. Because what Jesus was doing was creating a clean heart in Peter. And he was renewing Peter's life. And the word again is very important. That's what's used here. Renew a loyal spirit in me. Now, other translations will say uh, a steadfast spirit or a resolute spirit. Probably most of us, if we were asked to quote that verse, we would say, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. This, this is the idea that David has been disloyal. Peter has been disloyal. We are disloyal, and if God's going to create a new heart in us, we want to make sure that that heart is never going to go astray again. You see, David is asking that his relationship with God, a relationship that has been severely damaged by his sinfulness, would be renewed so that this never happens again. David doesn't come out of this unscathed. He's still scarred by the event. He's going to walk with a limp, if you will, because of what he's done, because the consequences of his decision don't just go away. But this is the amazing thing about God. God can do a work in our lives so that even if we're scarred or even if we walk with a limp, our hearts are made new. They're loyal. The idea here is that he wants to be rock solid. He wants to be immovable as a mountain in his relationship with God. And brothers and sisters, hear me clearly this morning because this is good news. It doesn't matter what we've done. God can renew our lives. God can make us new again. Sometimes we just need repair 
sometimes we need to be made new. I shared last week that, that there's no filth in our hearts that he can't clean. There's no impurity in our spirit that he cannot purify. There's no stain he cannot remove. And I'm not saying those things because I'm God's publicist. God doesn't need me to be his publicist. The witness of who God reveals himself to be in Scripture is very clear that this is who God is and this is how God chooses to relate to us because God completes us. He gives us purpose. He gives us meaning. He makes us new. So I want you to know God can renew every heart that is loyal in its commitment to him. Would y'all pray with me?